everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. This is episode 46. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Charles McClellan. He is the commissioner of the SWAC. And Greg Moore, the commissioner of the SIAC. Uh, and I want to dive into a lot of different topics here. And um, Greg is joining us uh, on the phone here via Zoom. Um, and so, uh, Greg, I just want to start with you because... I also think that uh, we need to do a little education here. For those who are not as familiar, tell people what is the SIAC? Well, first I wanna thank you guys uh, for inviting us to participate in this discussion. Thank the NCA and also thank you. I've been following your uh, your work for some time as a you know, long time uh, college basketball fan. Um, I mean, the SIAC is uh, over a, 107-year-old uh, uh, NCA conference. We're comprised primarily of historically black colleges and universities. We have a six-day footprint. Uh, we've been headquartered in uh, Atlanta uh, since our founding. Uh, most of our schools are private uh, schools. We compete at the Division II level. Um, our presidents uh, take pride in the academic rigor of our institution. We take pride in the athletic and academic achievements of our student athletes. And uh, I've been commissioner for a little more than 12 years. It's gone, gone quite fast. Uh, but uh, over the past 12 years, we've, uh, we've added five institutions. Uh, you know, we're, uh, uh, we just added uh, Allen University into the membership process. We brought in Central State. Uh, we brought in Spring Hill College, which is the first non-HBCU uh, member institution in our league and either out of Mobile, Alabama. So uh, you know, we're continuing to uh, to move forward. This is a difficult time we're in right now, um, but we're continuing to feel our way through and uh, hopefully we'll come out the other side and, you know, stronger than we, uh, we entered into this, this uh, pandemic. So Charles, um, the history of HBCUs in the Deep South and, and the SWAC has a rich history. Um, what stands out to you the most uh, when you think of that history and the SWAC and what, you know, it, it's imprint across a number of different states? Sure, it's our ability to be able to give really an underserved population, especially in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, an opportunity not only to play intercollegiate athletics, but to be able to obtain you know, a college education. If you go back to the early days of the Southwestern Athletic Conference, we are 100 years old this year. So we started in 1920, and it started with institutions in the Houston and surrounding areas. But if you fast forward, when you started to talk about the top African-American talent that was going to the NFL, that was going to the NBA, you had to look at the Southwestern Athletic Conference. You know, uh, Charlie Chuchu Bracken from Purdue University, the first African-American quarterback to play in the NFL. Obviously, the Southwestern Athletic Conference was there. Uh, we were NAIA early. Uh, we were able to transition to the NCAA, and we've had some stellar names, you know, arguably the best wide receiver uh, ever to play the game, Jerry Rice. He's a Southwestern Athletic Conference graduate. Willis Reed, a Hall of Famer, Southwestern Athletic Conference graduate. 
Lou Brock, MLB Hall of Famer, recently passed away, a Southwestern Athletic Conference Hall of Famer. So the significance of what we've had in the Deep South was unification of our communities to be able to go out and look at the sport of football, the sport of basketball, the sport of baseball, and to be able to bring that talent, educate that talent where they normally wouldn't have had an opportunity to gain that education and put those individuals out, not only just in the pro ranks, but being professional at whatever career they wanted to be a part of. So I want to go back a little, not just the athletic aspect of this, but the educational aspect and the lack of opportunities, as you mentioned, Charles, for decades. In what way, Greg, and then Charles, if you can piggyback on the back end of this, um, have these institutions, um, as you mentioned in your opening comment, Greg, really served um, you know, communities that you know, were ignored, were left behind, uh, that were not given the same opportunities uh, in, in this country for, for decades? Yeah, Dr. Clone makes a great point. I mean, you know, we were founded in 1913 and SWAC in 1920. And I, I think, you know, historically black colleges probably can do a better job, Andy, of really sharing how we've made significant contributions, not just in terms of providing academic uh, opportunities, but also the athletic piece is something that's not touched upon. I mean, you know, it wasn't really until the game, and I think, Charles, you may agree with this, the, the Alabama game involving USC, where you started to see in the late 60s some real, uh, you know, uh, wholesale integration of these Autonomy Five leagues. But it, 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 you can't overstate uh, the work that, uh, HBCUs did from the turn of the century until, you know, for 50, 60 years in training all the great players that, that have come out of the, uh, the NFL players, NBA players that have come out of our league, all the great coaches, you know, the Eddie Robinsons, the Jake Gaithers. Uh, so, you know, in a very real sense, I, I'm not sure, you know, you know, black colleges in a way uh, laid the foundation uh, in terms of training, skill development of, of, a, of, 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 of a whole generation of uh, athletes that when uh, integration opportunities, you know, manifest in the late 60s, you know, these kids are able to hit the ground running. Uh, in terms of academic piece, you know, our schools in the SIC are located in areas that are two to three times the national poverty rate. You know, Tuskegee uh, University, you know, the Al Tuskegee, Alabama has a 40% poverty rate. Fort Valley, 37%. Uh, Albany, Georgia, 30%. And the two biggest combatants of poverty are education and employment. And in many respects, uh, and I, I'm sure the SWAC, in many of the SWAC schools are, are, are in similar, uh, playing a similar role. You know, we're the largest employer in these communities, and we're providing uh, educational opportunities, which are the two biggest combatants of poverty. I'm not sure we've gotten enough credit in, in both those regards in terms of for 50 years training the, 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 the kids and the coaches who became stars at the A5 conferences starting in the late 60s. And also, you know, in terms of being real engines of economic uh, development in very poor rural economically underserved communities. So... Charles, the pandemic, you know, has 
uh, disproportionately hit um, the black and brown communities. Um, obviously different parts of the country have ridden this wave throughout the course of the last year. How have the SWAC schools tried to navigate this unprecedented year? Surprisingly well, Andy, and we've had three institutions to serve as hubs to even administer the vaccination to the communities. So, you know, we're very resilient. And I go back and, and give a brief uh, point to what we just talked about. You look at Prairie View and m University, uh, it was founded on the Alta Vista plantation, which was a slave plantation. When Texas A&M was founded in 1876, Purdue A&M University was founded the day after because they needed a place for the newly free slaves to go. So they've been serving as a pillar of the community, not only from an educational standpoint, but from a health standpoint. Uh, it's an agricultural and mechanical university. So you would bring your horses and your dogs you know, so we have been pillars of communities and Peruvia is just one example, Alcorn State, Jackson State, all of the membership within the Southwestern Athletic Conference. So you fast forward that and you fast forward that mission to the pandemic in 2020 and 2021, we're still doing those same things. So to navigate to it from a community standpoint is one thing, but from an athletic standpoint, it's another. So as other member institutions from the autonomy five they're able to go to these labs and they're able to get these tests and squab and send them in our institutions have actually served as a hub to go get tested so our student athletes have the highest of quality of testing because our member institutions are testing not only student athletes but the community as a whole and now that the vaccine is rolled out they can now get in line and have an avenue to be able to go get the vaccine and that's ultimately what HBCUs have been about since day one. And we will continue to share that mission with everyone. And I, I would say this too, we're now not just about black students. We are very well diverse, not from black, not just from brown, uh, not just from Caucasian, but we have a cohesiveness of individuals that come to get educated because we have some of the finest institutions with all degree programs from law to doctor to nursing to dentist, you can get it at an HBCU. So we've expanded our brand and we've also continued to be relevant in our communities. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. We talked about that last week, how schools in the MEAC, the SWAC, uh, the uh, SIAC and the CIAA, um, they didn't discriminate while there's history of other institutions discriminating, but those institutions did not discriminate. Um, and obviously took uh, everyone that wanted to come. Um, I just want, before I go to Greg here, I wanna piggyback on the financial aspect of this though, because while you're pointing out rightfully so about serving the entire community where these institutions are located, you know, there's also a price and, you know, let's be honest, they're not funded the same as the Power Five, whether it's television contracts, you know, shares or just simply from their states, state legislatures. Uh, those are facts. They're not funded the same as the giant state universities. So how have they handled the financial aspect of what has been crushing at times, you know, for a lot of these schools? Well, within the Southwestern Athletic Conference, there has been a tremendous financial burden. Uh, the burden of the additional testing, the burden of how you travel to keep student athletes safe. 
we don't have the mega contracts that the autonomy five conferences have. So the majority of our revenue really comes from ticket sales and it comes from institutional support. So when you start talking about institutional support and the fact that the majority of our schools are in a hybrid mode, we don't continue to get all of the student fees that you would normally get to be able to fund your athletics program. So it has definitely been a struggle for us. It has been a struggle from day one. So we are accustomed of doing much with little. So we have had practice. Uh, the pandemic has done nothing but put a light on how HBCUs have had to operate. Ironically, Andy, uh, there has been a lot of positive that has come from uh, the pandemic from a financial situation from the HBCUs. Uh, there's been several loans that have been forgiven from the federal government that have allowed us to build buildings and expand our programs where during this pandemic, some of those loans were forgiven, which has significantly helped the institution move forward. So as much as we've had to suffer, there has been uh, some silver lining uh, when it comes to funding coming to our membership within the Southwestern Athletic Conference. But it is a struggle and it will always be a struggle but one that we are willing to undertake because the health and safety is number one. But we also understand the importance of our student athletes having that ability to compete in sports because we've heard from them time and time again, the mental aspect of not being able to go to school, play sports and achieve your dreams is just as dangerous as the COVID-19 environment where we continue to isolate and don't give them that social nurturing that they need. So it's a delicate balance, it's costly, but our membership has been able to navigate it thus far. Greg, what about those same questions for the SIAC, the navigating of COVID and then the financial burden that it has wrought? Well, you know, you, 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 you touched upon the third rail of college intercollegiate athletics, which is the economic inequality that exists in college sports. Um, not much is, uh, more needs to be written about and said about it. But, uh, you know, you, you, when you look at the fact that the distribution from one institution in the Big Ten, just the conference distribution, is more than the combined top line revenue of the MEAC, SWAC, SIC, and CIAA, you know, that's a challenge. And that's something that I think college athletics and the Power Five League should, should really deal with forthrightly and directly. Um, and then you add the optics that against the backdrop of the fact that, you know, the two revenue sports, you know, the lion's share of student athletes are young men of color. You know, it, it creates this incongruency between the young people who are generating billions of dollars and the institutions that are, uh, that are, uh, that are in our league that are having financial challenges. And I'll just simply say that, you know, when Microsoft was dealing with a antitrust issue, um, you know, um, so when Apple was 90 days from bankruptcy, they got an interesting $100 million investment. They got an investment from Microsoft because Microsoft was dealing with the optics of having, you know, some, some, there were some real questions about their business practice. For the life of me, Andy, I don't understand why more resources aren't going to historically black colleges, particularly in light of the fact that we're 
providing the majority of of ethnic minorities in terms of commissioners, athletic directors, football coaches, basketball coaches. So to me, there, 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 there needs to be way more investment in these institutions, particularly if you say you care about inclusion when these schools are the single largest repository of inclusion. So that's something I'm, I'm very passionate about. And I'll just say lastly, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot in our league to push inclusion. That's something I've been pushing since I became commissioner in terms of partnerships with the MPPA, with the SWAC and Michelle Roberts, partnerships to get more minority officials in terms of the NFL. Uh, we're the first league to have uh, women opportunities to officiate a college football game. We've worked very closely with Coach Calipari in terms of getting kids on our campuses into the McClendon pipeline. Uh, I spoke to him earlier this morning. He mentioned that he's going to have uh, a bunch of kids coming from HBCUs at the Final Four. So we just we just need more people willing to do the good work and, 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 and advance that issue of inclusion and make sure that HBCUs are at the center of those discussions to the degree that we are the single largest repository of inclusive uh, professionals. You know, Charles, I brought this up as well last week that um, we know the process in the NCAA, it's, it's a legislative process. So to affect change, you have to have a seat at the table. And we know that's a problem in corporate America and hopefully it's getting better, but how critical has it been for whether it's ADs, commissioners, faculty reps, you name it, from historically black colleges, whether it's division one or two, to make sure they're on these committees and having a voice to some of the points that Greg is speaking of right there. It's extremely important, and it's something that we're pushing within the conference office. I was an athletic director for eight years at Prairie View and 10 years at Texas Southern, and I was so focused on Prairie View and Texas Southern that I did not understand the need and the significance of infiltrating myself within the NCA structure. I did early on serve on the management council, council within the NCAA, and it was an eye-opening experience to say, hey, these are where the rules are instituted and implemented. So it kind of got my mind going and thinking, but now that I'm commissioner, I in totality understand the significance. So from start to finish, the NCAA, as we've all said, is a membership institution. It is driven by the membership. And if we don't have our voices on those boards and on those committees, then we're not gonna have a say in the direction. And I think that's the one thing that I would say very publicly, we have the ability to get on these committees. We have the abil ability for our voices to be heard. And that is a challenge from the conference office that we have undertaken is to make sure that we identify quality individuals and recommend them and put them through. Andy, I say this, you know, I am on the Division I Men's Basketball Committee, not in a million years that I think that I would be selected to be on the Men's Basketball Committee. So I have 100% trust and confidence uh, in the process and in the NCA structure because in order for me to have achieved that uh, opportunity to be on the committee, I had to go through those varying processes. I had to have the, you know, the background and the perpetuity to get to that point. All of that has manifested itself into me being on that committee. And we have a significant voice at the table, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, when it comes to Division I men's basketball. So that's just one example of why it's important and it can be done. You know, and that's a great point. Um, I, I don't think for years, 
Uh, I don't think it may, you know, I don't want to speak to whether it was done purposely, not purposely, ignored, what have you, but to have a SWAC voice there, uh, I think has tremendous weight uh, as an equal one of 10. Um, what have you found already just in, in, in the brief time of being on there? The cohesiveness of the group, uh, the extraordinary work that goes on within that committee and the, and the burden. You know, the Division One Men's Basketball Tournament is a massive event. Uh, it's an event that the membership counts on from a financial standpoint, and every decision is scrutinized and every decision is important. And I think the one thing that I have been pleasantly surprised is the cohesiveness of the group from Danny Gavitt to Joanne Scott all the way down. Um, you know, it's one big family and everybody is on the same page and moving forward. We debate in the room, uh, but at the end of the day, it is a very cohesive and strong group. Uh, Greg, you know, we saw student athletes across the country, regardless of level, be empowered to speak out over the last year um, from really June on. Uh, I think we would have seen more of it had we had more of a normal school year where students are interacting with each other on campuses, uh, but the voices are out there and they are not being silenced by anyone, which is great. Uh, what have you seen um, you know, at the SIAC and, and, and maybe what do you hope here in the future when we do all hopefully come back together in the fall of 21? Well, the thing we're most proud of, I mean, listen, that that's in the, uh the great tradition of historically black colleges. I mean, you know, black college students have been, have been on the front lines of uh, social movements going back many, many decades. So this is uh, this is in the highest tradition of our institutions in terms of uh, you know public service and and and, uh, and speaking out. Um, what I was very proud of is the partnership that we had with the uh, NBA Players Union to really get folks registered to vote. You know, we're headquartered in Georgia, and uh, we really worked hard with uh, the, the Players Union and some other uh, nonprofit organizations to get people registered, to get them information on where to go to vote. And, and uh, you know, I was proud of the, uh, of the civic engagement in this very important election year. Um, so that, that's probably something, even in light of a pandemic, that I think uh, it gives me the most pride in terms of seeing kids not just out there speaking out and 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 uh, and they were in the streets and marching because there were a lot of protests in Atlanta. I live in downtown Atlanta, so I saw kids out there every day for a period of time uh, in the aftermath of the George Floyd um, uh, incident, but uh, but also doing it, uh, expressing themselves civically. So we we we, we took a great. We took uh, great pride in watching our kids really get out there and, and, and encourage others to not just register, but go out there and, and vote. Charles, same thing, I just wanna to post to you. Yeah, it's been remarkable to see, Andy. I'm a 1970s baby. I grew up in uh, rural Mississippi. So I came and a lot of my early memories were the tail end of the 60s movement. And in Mississippi, there still was a lot of progression that was made from the 1960s to the 1970s. So my grandfather owned his own moving business and he would continuously get shut down by 
the individuals there in Philadelphia, Mississippi from the sheriff and things of that nature. So that was the type of backdrop that I grew up in. And I saw the forward progression socially. And it was just refreshing to see it here in 2020 and 2021. And again, it was all colors, all races for one goal, and that's equality you know, across the board. So to see our student athletes participate in that is historic, is monumental, and it's something that is going to be embraced and impact uh, to them in their lives and something that they're going to be able to talk to their kids about. So all of these things are invaluable for the Southwestern Athletic Conference to have member institutions to be intricately involved in a lot of the marches to be intricately involved in working with a lot of the state legislatures and even some of the national uh, aspects, even through the uh, presidential primary from a democratic standpoint, Texas Southern University had the opportunity to host one of the debates. So this social justice piece is something obviously that we've embraced and it's something that we've lived in and it's something that we've been a part of and to be able to have our member institutions to embrace it and a lot of our students and student athletes to be a part of it, again, is historic and it's remarkable. So the SWAC celebrated 100 years in 2020. Uh, the SIAC uh, will be 110 years old in 2023. And I, I kind of want to wrap this up here um, in, in this manner, in that I'm just curious, both of your vantage points on this, and I'll start with you, Greg. Um, you know, we are now hearing from white coaches and white players that not only are they hearing what is being said, but they're actually listening. I had so many conversations in the last, um, you know, uh, nine months of people that would, um, you know, would, would say that they're finally listening and, uh, you know, that's a big difference. And so I want to just throw to you guys, I just want to throw to you guys that, how have you seen the change in people, not just hearing what needs to be said, but listening to raw conversations so that we can, you know, come together uh, to hopefully, you know, I wouldn't say get through it, but just be in a better place. And, Greg, if you could start, and then Charles, if you could uh, end it. Well, you know, I, I think the last four years, frankly, you know, we, we, it, it, it's been a very tumultuous, tumultuous time, to say the least. And it, it, it laid bare the myth that, you know, you know, folks were saying when Obama got elected that we had entered a new epoch in the country and we've entered a realm where there's you know we're entering a post-racial society most of uh, uh black folks who i talked to chuckled at that notion uh they didn't feel like they were living in a post-racial society so i i really think that the last four years you know has laid bare that the, the fact that there's still some significant fissures in the country um there's still uh some uh, uh some divisions in the country and you know for my you know white friends uh you know we've had some real uh candid and frank conversations about you know those fissures and that's uh, and, and quite constructive conversations really around 
getting a better understanding on on why some of these uh, attitudes and phenomenon still exist. So I've had some very, very constructive conversations with colleagues and who reached out and wanted to get a better sense on, on, on certain issues that folks, I think, previously were reluctant to talk about. And I think, uh, I'm, call me optimistic, but I, I think we're at a better place now than we were four years ago. Because at least we have, I think, whether you're white or black, a clear-eyed sense of the challenges that confront us. And hopefully together, we can you know, move forward and, and get beyond some of this nonsense. Yeah, from my vantage point, Andy, I will sum it up with two words, and that's hope and optimism. You know, there are people that are on the fringes of the right, and there are people that are on the fringes of the left, but the majority of us have a common theme and that is we want to be able to live safe, happy, and comfortable lives. Um, you know, whether you have uh, certain political views or not, we all are living in a harmonious, or at least want to live in a harmonious environment. Whether you're in the deep South, I've been in the deep South all of my life, Mississippi, Texas now, uh, and Alabama, you see various things, but overall people are good, and people want the best for each other because that is how this country is going to grow and that's how we're all going to become better. So I am very hopeful and I'm very optimistic for the forward progression. And at the end of the day, it takes conversation. We have to talk to each other. We have to talk through these things in order to be able to move forward. There will always be challenges, but as long as we talk and as long as we remain civil, then everything is going to continue to move forward. Well, I just having, I think having conversations like this um, are important. It's never enough. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the thing. I, I, I remember many times people were telling me over the last 10 months, you know, to have the uncomfortable conversation. Make yourself uncomfortable. And I think that's how you become comfortable by dealing with uncomfortable topics uh, that everyone needs to discuss. Uh, appreciate both your time, Greg Moore and Charles McClellan. Uh, I know Charles, you got a lot of work to do here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're a month out from uh, the first games in the NCAA tournament, so we can't wait for that. March Madness is coming back. Uh, this concludes episode 46 of our NCAA social series. As always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where we've got them all archived. Believe it or not, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary which should signal uh, as we started this when the pandemic started, but we're going to crash through that, keep going forward uh, and talk about more positive things as we get hopefully on the other side of the, uh, of the pandemic. Um, so anyway, love having both of you on continued uh, safe and happy conclusions to this academic year. I'm Andy Katz. We'll talk again next week. <laughs>